are listening to the Trans Narrative Podcast. The Trans Narrative Podcast is dedicated to fostering a safe and inclusive space for the trans community. It provides a platform for trans individuals to connect, share their stories, and find support within their own community. Join me, Caroline Penny, Maria Lackey, Dina Fermakis, Lucy Balzano, and the rotating panel of gender-diverse co-hosts as we strive to create a place where trans voices are heard and celebrated. The Trans Narrative Podcast may contain explicit material, sensitive topics, and discussion. Trigger warnings are provided in advance. Welcome back to the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm Athena Pramakas filling in for Caroline. Today, the Trans Narrative Podcast is joined with returning guest Savannah Barker as she joins as guest co-host today with Alicia Teresa. Alicia Teresa is a passionate college professor who is committed to creating a safe and inclusive environment for LGBTQ plus students. Her dedication to the queer community is truly inspiring and has made a positive impact on the lives of countless students. Before we get started on our interview with her, I'd like to refresh our audience. Hey everyone, welcome to the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we shift the trans narrative to more inclusive and representative space. With an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, inclusion, diversity, and equity, we explore a variety of topics related to the queer community. And by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse, we are able to elevate often marginalized voices. This is the Trans Narrative Podcast. Uh, Savannah Brooks joined us on season one, episode 11. And Savannah, so good to have you back. Could you remind our listeners of who you are? Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Uh, my name is Savannah Barker. I am a full-time college student, a part-time writer, and a full-time flaming bisexual. <laughs> All right, lovely. Alicia, it's great to have you here. Uh, would you mind letting us know about, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, first, thank you so much for having me here. I'm honored to be here. I'm honored to be on this podcast. Um, you have all hosted some amazing people um, who I really look up to in the past. Um, one of my partner's favorite drag queens, Flamey Grant, was on here, and I actually get to see her perform next month. Um, and then you also had one of my biggest role models, a good friend of mine, Jenna Doherty, on here a few months ago, and um, her interview was fantastic. Um, so I'm really, yeah, first, I'm just really thankful to be here. Um, so yeah, let me introduce myself. Uh, I'm Alicia Mullins. Um, my middle name is Teresa, so Alicia Teresa Mullins. Um, I am a professor of meteorology at De Anza College in Cupertino. Um, I geek out about weather with students. It's honestly the most amazing job in the world. It's my dream job. Every day, I love it. I'm, I still waking up every morning excited about what I do. Um, but really, the biggest thing I would say is, and I really highlight this when I introduce myself, I am a proud transgender woman. Um, this is not something that I hide. This is not something that I try to downplay or pretend isn't there because visibility is so important. And so I am very proud of my transness. I'm very proud of the journey that I have to share with others. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, is there anything else that you'd like me to quickly say before we jump in or? 
Well, that's a great introduction to yourself. Uh, I similarly like to to uh, use the term trans woman because it lets people know a lot about uh, what I've been through in life and where I kind of fit in society a bit. Um, but yeah, I, I have no shame about it whatsoever. It's something that I'm immensely proud of. I think it's just about the most beautiful thing in, in my life, you know, except for maybe my family and my kids. <laughs> yep. Mm -hmm. I agree with that 100%. Um, yeah. So let's get uh, started into it just about your uh, work here. This is uh, obviously a great chance for you to uh, kind of talk about your experience as a college professor and an advocate for LGBTQ plus uh, students. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about that? Okay. Um, so trying to think of where the best place to begin is. Um, so I have been, I've been teaching now for, this is my 11th year. Um, I, funny, it's so funny growing up, there were two things my family said I was going to always be like members of my family. They always said I was either going to be a meteorologist or I was going to be a teacher. And I always kind of geared towards meteorology because I've always loved weather. I mean, for as long as I can remember, I've always been fascinated about rain falling out of the sky. I've always been fascinated about, um, why it doesn't rain during certain times of the year. Um, I love weather. Every time there's a thunderstorm going on outside while everybody else is running in, I'm the crazy one running out. Um, I absolutely love geeking out about this stuff. Um, the thing I always kind of resisted growing up, though, was teacher. Um, I never thought I would be a teacher, and I don't know why. I just never. Maybe it's because when you're a kid, teachers are supposed to be like meanies and stuff like that. But... Um, I had some amazing teachers growing up. Um, but as I got actually into my career and, and as I started studying for my master's degree, I got to get my hands dirty with a bunch of different things. I got to do field research. I got to do computer programming, data analysis. I got to do actual weather forecasting. But for the first year or so I was, I was in my grad program, I was trying all those things and kind of feeling lost and feeling like I really don't know if I want to do any of this. I love studying weather. I want to do something related to weather, but I don't know what. And then my thesis advisor kind of shot herself in the foot by making me her TA for a class. And her approach to teaching was, I come in and talk, you do everything else. So answering emails, grading papers, dealing with disgruntled stuff, that was all on me. And yet I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And as I was going through it, I just was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do for a career. And um, within a year, they had me teaching their intro to meteorology class. Um, I then defended my thesis, graduated. And shortly after that, um, started teaching many different subjects. I taught oceanography. Um, geology, astronomy, earth sciences. And then a few years later, the um, dream job opportunity of a lifetime popped up back up in the Bay Area where I got my master's degree. I was in Southern California at the time. And I remember running into my office, or not, to my, I remember running into my room uh, where my wife, Jamie, was half, a, half awake, half asleep. And I told her, I just heard about this full-time meteorology professor position at a community college up in Northern California. 
can I apply for it? And she was, yeah, go for it. Um, and I didn't think anything was going to come of it, but ended up getting selected for an interview. That afternoon, I got called back for a final interview, and less than a week later, I got the job offer. Um, I've loved it ever since. Now, I would say that that doesn't really tie into my experience as being LGBTQ mm -hmm. because at the time I was still very much in the closet. Mm -hmm. um, I have known that something was up with my gender, that something was up with who I was for more than 20 years at this point. Um, it was August of 1997, the very first time I thought, wait, why can't I just wear those clothes? Why can't I wear that makeup? Why can't I be pretty? And obviously being a trans woman is so much more than being pretty, but that was a big part of like why I wanted, like there were so many things I couldn't do as a guy that I can do as a woman. And I just, for whatever reason, it really, started to resonate with me that like I don't feel comfortable with how I look I don't feel comfortable with who I am um and I got to experiment a little bit of it a little bit with it while in high school my family is very working class this was at a time when trans people were mostly represented on the Jerry Springer show yeah so um I don't want rest to rest in um, in something, Jerry. <laughs> yeah. Opinions vary. Um, rest in something. Yeah, rest in something. Um, but yeah, I, I, and so, um, yeah, I mean, and, and so at the time, it's like there was such a stigma about trans people. And so to me, it was like, okay, that's bad. I can't tell anybody about that. I can't. And so I hit it. Um, what's interesting is that. As soon as I graduated high school, um, I a couple of things changed in my life. I, um, one, got involved with a very evangelical church, which I'm pretty sure you've heard numerous times on these podcasts and know that. Um, You're preaching to the choir. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. there. Um, what's crazy is two weeks after I started attending this church, I met the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Um her name is Jamie, and she is one room down the hallway from me right now and has been my wife now for we're about to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. We're going to celebrate 20 years of dating in um, – Oh, my goodness, uh, 20, you did the long date? Yeah, 20 years of being boyfriend and girlfriend, being a couple mm -hmm. in January. And I actually think we're going to celebrate that by renewing our vows. Aww. Um this box right here that I'm holding is actually my wedding dress. Um, oh, wow. Awesome. I've, I've already picked out my wedding dress. I I really honestly want to do that same thing. I married right. my wife 20 years ago, and I kind of look like a, a, a lesbian in a suit, but I really want a dress for my wedding. <laughs> now, 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 here's the cool thing, though. The cool thing is that um, for whatever reason, I came out to her almost instantly after meeting her. Oh, wow. Like with, 
Within a couple of weeks, I came out to her. And so she's always known. I've never hid, hid this from her. That is, and I, I will say right now, and something I'll talk about later when talking about intersectionality is privilege. And I will say that was a privilege. The fact that, you know, this was already out on the table before we got serious, before we got in, emotionally invested in with each other. Now, at the time, I identified as a cross-dresser, and I was really trying to, like, hold back the thought of transitioning, um, as I'm sure many have. But, um, you know, she has been just incredible. Um, so fast forward to... 2016, when that job opportunity came up, um, obviously 2016 was a pretty interesting year for us here in the United States, where um, he who should not be mentioned was um, up upset in the presidential election. And um, it was actually a few months beforehand, I'd come out to a few other people. And my wife, Jamie, and I had started talking about it um, about me kind of experimenting with this. And we actually decided to kind of try it and see what happens. Um, it was a very slow process of trying to figure things out, trying to figure out who I was. Um, there was much ebb and flow and we had arguments um, we had strife, we, you know, and, and that's all normal. Yeah. Um, finally, in early 2019, I just broke down and said, like, I, like, I need to do this. Like, this is something, something is up. At the time, I had never met Alicia, for lack of a better term. I never, I never experienced, like, the whole thing. Like, I... Mm -hmm. Had a few dresses, had a few things, but I, I never really experienced the whole thing. Did you name it before? I did name it before. That, I... that was the big thing for me. When I put a name to it, I pretty much just could slide into it. Hmm. And yeah, and you know, it took me a long time to figure out a name. Um, but I'd actually had the name for probably a good 10 years at this point. So I, um, and that, that's a whole nother story, but, um, the people who inspired the name are all aware of, of their role in inspiring the name. I've been really transparent about that because, um, just because, you know, I'd rather, I'm not a big fan of secrets. Like for the longest time, Alicia was my deepest, darkest secret and I can't, uh, every day I wake up and I realize, like, no, she's no longer my deepest, darkest secret. She is me. And yeah. I'm, it's just, it's incredible to finally be able to bask in the sunlight. And, um, but, hello. That's dog but, type. <laughs> <laughs> I want a dog so bad. We Not need to get three, our place. But none to spare. Yeah. <laughs> No, we, we need to get our place in much better order, though. We're very overcluttered in our house. If I turned off my uh, background right now, you'd all have a good laugh. Um, but although I, I'm just rearranging stuff in my home office right now. But but anyway, um, so 
in April of 2019, I finally had the experience of finally meeting Alicia, finally getting a full makeover. There was a um, a a transgender boutique that existed down here in the South Bay, um, the South Bay being the Southern San, San Francisco Bay, the San Jose area, um, essentially. And um, and this amazing trans woman um, by the name of Ajay Franciscus uh, owned a transgender boutique at the time. And one of the big services was transformations where she would give you a full makeover, an outfit, uh, everything, like like the whole nine yards. So like you could walk in in guy mode and totally walk out. And I can remember the feeling when um, she had finished my makeup, she had pulled the wig out and she was getting ready to put it on me. And she asked me, are you ready to meet Alicia? And I said, yes. Okay, close your eyes. And I could feel her putting the wig on and adjusting it. Then she said, okay, open your eyes. And I woke up, or I woke up, I, I opened my eyes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it I felt like waking up. Yeah, it very, very much felt like waking up, to be honest with you, because I felt, um, it, it was weird. Like it wasn't, I've heard stories of people who start like breaking down crying the first time they see themselves. I didn't necessarily have that initial reaction. It was just like, I would say for the first few seconds, I still saw very much of myself, but I mean, man, just a few seconds in, it was very like, it felt incredible. It just, it, it all started to hit that like, um, there's a song from RuPaul's Drag Race Las Vegas, um, of the Las Vegas show that they have called the mirror song. And there's a line in there where, um, I take a look at the mirror and there's a girl looking back and she's beautiful. Am I finally home? That moment I took a look at Alicia and she was a beautiful woman. And we're finally home there. And yeah. And, and I mean, I so proud of where I'm at now. And, you know, every week, I mean, trigger warning every week I get, messages of people telling me how ugly I am or how um, they make fun of my appearance. Like I get that stuff all the time. Um, and, and it's just from trolls who have nothing better to do, but it just, it makes me laugh because I'm also like, what the hell are they looking at? I'm, I'm fire. Like, you know, that's, that's, I know that I'm not, I know that I don't pass. I know that, and that I don't, that's not my concern that I, that's not to invalidate that as a concern for other people. That's not my concern. Like, I just want to be me. And I yeah. look at who I am right now and I'm like, this is me. Yeah. And, um, and apparently they noticed that you're, you're expressing yourself and being yourself and they've got a problem with you being content and happy with that. And so, yeah, I mean, they can have their own grudges, but don't let that take you down. You look stunning. Exactly. I mean, and I would just like to point out, you know, we all know that beauty is a social construct as well as gender. And even more so, beauty 
standards are regional social constructs. What is beautiful here is, you know, a completely different standard in another part of the country, another part of the world. And so whenever you have to look at those opinions, sometimes it's easier to look at it through that lens and be like, all right, maybe in your region, I'm not a 10, but over here, baby, I got it. I got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, that's just been, and and you know what? And and I, I'm so happy with what I see in the mirror now. Um, yeah. Can I continue so to improve important. my makeup? Can I continue to improve my look? Absolutely. I'm starting to work on transitioning away from wigs because my hair is now growing to the point where I think some of it even sticks out in the back and. You know, it's it's getting to that point now where um, um, it's it's time, but um, at the same time, like I'm just I, I love this journey that I'm on, and I'm I'm so proud of every step I've I've gone through. I'm so proud of the steps that friends and family have taken alongside me. Um, I'm so so thankful for the people who have made this possible. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the phrase, it takes a village, but I will totally say that about my experience that I wouldn't be where I'm at now if it wasn't for my amazing wife, Jamie. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that really awesome boutique owner, Ajay, who actually became a mentor and um, transition coach for me, um, still helps me out to this day. Um, Unfortunately, the business kind of went away due to COVID, um, which is yeah. depressing, though she had some other really cool stuff going on. So, um, you know, but it's also that's a hole for us because, I mean, I look at how I wouldn't be here or I would be maybe Alicia would have been delayed three, four years had it not been for that boutique, had it not been for that. Um, I'm thankful for many of my friends. I mean, just the past few days um i had a friend who i i couldn't be here for furniture or for furniture delivery um because i was in the hospital and my my wife was kind of here just by herself and a friend offered to come and be with her and help her and that was incredible it's just like little things like that make all the difference in the world and um you know all the love and support I've gotten from people. I mean, I could, I could fill a whole podcast with just the the shout outs to people who've made me who I am. Um, That's incredible. Absolutely, and I would then, say one of the biggest parts, uh, the biggest things uh, that's been incredible is just the community, being able to find yes. community people with like experiences. And the thing you said about, you know, it takes a village, I think it's a really uh, great way to highlight, you know, the importance of queer representation and allies, you know, out there yes. in the world and in media, but having those people, you know, in times where you're figuring out your own queer identity, like it really it's in a heteronormative society, it's so important that we're there for each other and we help each other through that process. Because as you said, you know, this journey for you and this coming into your own and this self-love and acceptance, none of that would have been possible without that community. And there's many other people who might be listening right now who don't have 
that. So it's important that we use our voices and we reach out to, you know, others and we help each other through this process of, you know, self-love and acceptance and coming into our queer identities. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of people who won't have that kind of community and, you know, being able to have a, a remote kind of access to what, what life is like on the other side of it. Um, yeah. I, I'll touch on that really quickly. Um, just throwing it out there. I mean, I, I can't say that I have all the capacity in the world, but if there's somebody listening to this who needs a person to be there for them, to encourage them, to talk to them, like I've had so many people do that for me. I'm honored to do that for somebody else. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you're going to put my contact information on any of the podcaster with if you want to use a you know maybe my instagram handle i'd, I'd say that, that that's the be, main thing yeah um you know and i i actually my story takes a sad turn that actually ended up being a sad turn but a good thing um so covid happened obviously and um i'm always afraid to give covid a lot of credit for people transitioning and the reason why is because you have so many people who are trying to explain away a person tra transitioning you have people like matt walsh michael knowles all these like horrible people um who would love to say well if we hadn't locked down all these trans people wouldn't be here you know covid hadn't happened they start coming up with these ways to gaslight us by blaming um by blaming COVID or by blaming, I mean, I've read some ridiculous things and this is what actually led to my deconstruction, started leading to my deconstruction from the evangelical church was some of the things that mainstream evangelical authors were saying about trans people. And I'm sitting there like reading their, what, how they try to summarize our experience. And I'm like, this is all wrong. All that they're trying to do is like minimize and belittle and and gaslight and it's just like it's so clear that these people are trying to talk like experts and yet they haven't I wouldn't be surprised if they haven't even talked to a trans person before based on some of the stuff I've seen. Um and so not not to go off on that tangent, but COVID happened. Um and obviously, I, I will say, you know, the one credit I will give to COVID is it forced everybody to kind of take a step back and sort of evaluate your life, evaluate what's going on in your life, evaluate, are you happy with who you are? Are you happy with the way things are going? Are you happy with your career? I mean, this is such a disruptive event that, you know, if there's something you need to change, this is kind of a good time to change it because it's... It's like life is already being disrupted in so many ways. Um, that isolation really forced a lot of uh, a lot of introspection, and I think that's about the beginning and the end of where we can give credit to, you know, something like COVID. It's not that it yes. caused anything other than yes. for us to be alone with our own thoughts, for us to really take a look at who we are. If anything, it delayed my transition because I thought in all earnestness that I couldn't devote any attention to anything but just trying to keep my family safe. So mm -hmm. I, I yeah. would say it, it has it made me a little bit more hesitant to transition. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, and that's 
and, you know, and, and it's it's definitely different for different people. Um, for me, one of the things I kind of felt like was I felt like all these things I took for granted, like going out to dinner, going to a movie, going shopping, going going to a brewery and enjoying a pint, all these things I loved doing, I now couldn't do because everything was closed and everything's on lockdown and our whole lives are isolated in our homes. And, you know, the idea of human to human contact is almost like, no, you can't do that. Um, one of the things that I really started like very quickly as COVID was happening, like that first month was like, holy shit, the world is ending. I'm sorry. I should have sworn, but it's okay. Can... We, we are an all ages show with the very, Fuck very yeah. loose uh, language interpretation. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so it's fucking um, awesome if you swear. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. No. Uh, so um so what so what um what happened was um you know obviously if like the first month or two of this, it felt like the world was ending. Everything was going to crap, everything was falling apart, it was just like scary. Um and so during that time, like one of the things I would do to cope was dress up more. It's like, well, I'm home and, you know, if I want to wear a skirt and boots at, you know, below my guy clothes while I'm teaching, you know, people can only see from here up, like I can do that. Um, but one of the things that really kind of came to light very quickly was like, as soon as things opened back up, I, I, I already had like my bucket list of what I wanted to do when things opened back up. And at the top of that bucket list was to actually go out as a Lucia. Um, and in late June of 2020, my I decided to dress up and go out. My wife came with me, and we drove to a Starbucks 20 miles away, uh, got a coffee, and then just drove around the Bay Area, went to In-N-Out Burger for dinner, um, the only thing, the only time I got out of the car was to add gas. Otherwise, it was, you know, all inside the car. But it was like for the first time ever, I'd gone out as Alicia. And it was incredible. Well, a week later, we decided to, it was actually July 1st. Um, a week later, we decided to go out again. This time, what ended up happening was, um, I originally thought about doing, okay, the whole 20-mile coffee shop. What's funny is the Starbucks over here now is, like, they're all, like, one of my biggest supporters. Um, mm -hmm. But 20-mile coffee shop and driving around a little bit, and then we decided, let's stop somewhere for dinner. And so we went to an outdoor restaurant, an outdoor Italian restaurant. I got out of the car, walked over to the restaurant, and for the first time ever went out and had dinner as Alicia and was – um, and I remember almost crying after it happened, like, wow, I just went out as Alicia, like full on just, and it's crazy to think because now it's like, I feel naked if I go out without makeup or a wig on or without, you know, without my, I, I, I don't feel like myself and obviously myself, I'm not makeup and a wig and stuff like that, but it's like, those are things those are parts of how I express who I am. So, well, um, like, would you feel comfortable going out without a cell phone? Some people might, you know, exactly. identify with that, right? Exactly. Yeah, or your keys or something. Yeah, it's, it, that's 
that's a really good way to put it. Um, so, um, a few months later, I got another makeover after, you know, things, we had kind of gotten into a more comfortable place with COVID. I got another makeover. I went shopping that afternoon, got to try on clothes at a Torrid. That was incredible. Um, I went out to dinner by myself as Alicia for the, I had my first full day as Alicia. And I remember that night being unable to take off my clothes, being unable to take my makeup off, being unable to pull my forms out, take my wig off or anything. Not because it was all stuck on me, but because I felt like I was taking off who I was. Um, the next week was a Halloween party that we went to. I went dressed up as my very awful attempt at Audrey Hepburn. Um, and I remember after, after the party, I went home. My wife went to bed. I stayed up, and I just I, I couldn't get out of the costume for, for the same reason, not because I couldn't unzip the dress or anything, but I just I didn't want to take it off. So I stayed up, opened up a crowler of beer, and just sat there and watched some TV and, you know, just um, – was just enjoying the time I was in a wig, makeup, dress, and everything. And I went to the bedroom after all of that, got myself out of my clothes, took off my makeup and everything. And my wife looked at me and said, are you okay? I, I could tell you couldn't sleep and, or you couldn't. And, and I, I just told her I couldn't get out of my clothes. And, and she was like, oh, I could have helped you. And I said, no, not like that. And I just, started crying and I said, I, I need to transition. That was the night that I find that that was the night my egg broke. Yeah. So October, October 31st, 2020 was the night my egg broke. I loved my wife's response. He grabbed my shoulder, looked at me and said, I know. Oh. I know. I've known for a while. I've known that this is, I, I know I've known for a while that this is where this was going. Um, I love you. I want to stay with you. I'm nervous about what this means for many of our friends and, and, and many of our relationships, which we have lost a lot. We've kept a lot too. It's been incredible. Yeah. Um, but she just was so firmly behind me at that point. And I didn't know what, what it meant yet. Um, I decided I needed to start coming out to people. So New Year's Eve that year, I made my first coming out post. I made it to what I called my, um, my yellow tier people. At the time, we here in California during COVID, we had like different tiers <laughs> for like different stages of COVID risk. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of group all of my social people, all my friends, family, stuff like that, into different tiers based on their safety as far as, like, coming out as trans. And the green tier people were people who had, who had shown themselves to be outspoken allies of the LGBTQ community. They were the first people I'd come out to. I'd already been coming out to them little by little. Um, the yellow tier were the people who... I didn't know where they stood on it, but they haven't said anything against it. I would assume that there'll probably be a few people who are 
you know, who, who are going to have a problem with it. But um, I would say overall, 95% were supportive. Um, and then there was my red tier people. Those are the people who I knew were not going to be okay with it, who I knew um, were going to have problems with it, were going to tough love me. Um, I'd actually tried to come out 10 years earlier and was blasted to Kingdom Come by tough love from many of these people. Many of them I just kind of backed away from because I was like, I know nothing good is going to come out of this. And, you know, I I know that that was hurtful for them, but I, I knew I had to do it because nothing good was going to come out of it and a lot of trauma was going to come out of it. Um, only one of them has attempted to reach out to me and we've had a few conversations, but nothing's come of it. Um, and then... Yes, I started coming out little by little. A few months later, I got doxxed by a hate group. Um, I don't know if either of you know what doxing is. I assume doxing's probably yeah. been talked about on this podcast before. Basically, there was a group. I I don't want to say the name just because I don't want to give them credit or anything. Though I think that the plug was pulled on them. Um, but was basically, it, it was start a, with a K and a, an F. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Yeah, we've yeah. talked about them, but we don't need to give them any more credit than we need to. Yeah. Fuck those people. Mm -hmm. Those people who come from their mother's basement and have nothing better to do but ruin other people's lives. I just, it blows my mind that people like that even exist. My like, drag persona was sister. Yeah. So I, uh, I tell you, it was uh, some Texas moms group protecting them from drag performers i i can't stand that bullshit you know yeah. i the thought that i'm somebody that people need to be protected from is just right that is the most offensive most disrespectful dehumanizing disgusting thing and i, I can't i i can't you know if 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 I need if somebody needs to be protected from me, I would rather not be in that person's life. Um, and that's and that's hard because, as I've said, I've had to I've had to give up very meaningful relationships. Um, but and it's really sad this, because these reactions they're rooted in fear, and fear is rooted in ignorance. And yes. the best way we can fight ignorance is with education, which is, you know, why so many people in the queer community are like begging for this representation, especially yes. more in the mainstream media, because if we're here and they can't get away from the fact that we're here, you know, whether you like it or not, you're going to learn a thing or two. And then suddenly yep. we're not this mysterious boogeyman. We're just yep. the person next door. <laughs> Absolutely. That's why we've created this show to educate and talk about some of the more in-depth discussions that don't really get onto mainstream conversations. You wouldn't see these kind of things on Jerry Springer, for example. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm going to shift the trans narrative from that, yeah. You know, and, and what's really cool is that the whole doxing situation that happened to me actually kind of led to some really good things. Um. So I had had a friend who had been doxxed by the same group and almost lost her job because of it. She was a public school teacher in Southern California. 
and her school district doesn't sound like they were super supportive. And I don't want to get into that because that's her story to tell, not mine. But she was the one who found out that that hate group had started doxing me. They knew everything. They knew where I worked. They knew who my wife was. They knew everything. And so to me, it was like the very first thing I had to do was contact my employer. I had to let them know, hey, this is so in essence, I was forced out. And so I had to come out to some people in my in my my job at my work who I hadn't intended on coming out to. And you know, and, and I had to share like, yeah, this is, this is what's happening. Um, I was not yet tenured. I was like a month away from getting tenure. Oh my and gosh. I was like, could these people ruin my tenure? Could they like, like, I don't right. know what dirt they have on me. I mean, I've had a pretty squeaky clean life, but I'm sure if they looked hard enough, you know, we've all done some things that don't represent who we are now. Um, and who's to say uh, someone with that malicious intent wouldn't invent a scenario that you exactly. couldn't exactly you know disprove? And so yes, I I had to reach out to my union, my academic senate, my um, HR. I had to reach the all. I basically come out and say I'm a trans woman. Um, I hadn't intended on coming out like this, but here's what's happening. Um, and what I loved was that so. I mean, very quickly, they all they all reassured me that, you know, now that we're aware of the situation, we know that, you know, if anything like that happens, we can shut that down really quickly. Um, you are safe here. You are welcome here. Um, one of my favorite things that came out of that, though, was I was also referred to our school's LGBTQ Resource Center. At the time, it was basically a closet in, not literally, but basically like a tiny corner of a room um in a you know in a building on one side of campus called the gene miller resource room and this was in the middle of COVID, so it wasn't even being used but i was basically told like reached out to them and i reached out to them and very quickly i was put to work and i mean that in the greatest way possible i was invited to start taking part in their um in their events that were there to support our queer students and i was eager to do this because the first thing that i that hit me after i was doxxed was like if this happened to me what are the chances that one of my students has had this happen to them and i'll tell you right now somebody docks doxes me talks crap about me i'll I, you know, whatever. But my students, regardless of if they take a class with me or not, do not deserve that. They are in a much more vulnerable place. They're much more, I mean, and so I, I will wield any privilege I have from my age, from my experience, from anything to help them, to shield them, to insulate them from this. And I think visibility is a big part of that. So for me, it was like, well, I'm going to start participating in these different things that our our resource center does. And very quickly, the conversation came up that not only was I going to participate in them, but I was going to participate in them as Alicia. 
Um, and so like a month later, I attended my first college event as Alicia. And what was crazy was one of my students actually showed up. And he messaged me and he said, I'm so happy to see you here, Alicia, and I'm so proud of you. That's great. Um, yeah, no, my, I, I will say in general, um, there's been one big obstacle I've had to face in my work. Besides that one obstacle, the people at my work, whether they've been my students, whether they've been my superiors or my colleagues, have been absolutely phenomenal. They have been absolutely phenomenal. It, it, it has been incredible how encouraging they've been, how understanding they've been, and, 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 and how eager they've been to encourage me to, to, to use what I have to better our students' lives, which is ultimately what I want to do. That's what this is all about to me. And I, holy crap, like just talking about it makes me so happy. <laughs> um, and then, you know, so I started participating in those events. Um, I got involved with, a, um, with another push that was happening on our campus called Guided Pathways. And I... I was involved in that project and I feel like I had no place in it. I felt very out of place. It felt more like a, an event planning kind of thing. And it didn't feel so much like, um, after my first term on it, um, the director of the program wanted to meet with me one-on-one. -on -one, and so I thought like, I thought I was going to be given my walking papers and said, yeah, this project isn't for you. I kind of thought I was going to be in trouble. And instead what she said was, we need Alicia to be involved in this because at the time I was still, yeah, we need Alicia to be involved in this. And we really want to see you bring your true self to this, because if you're not bringing your true self to this, you're not, you, you aren't rep you, you aren't giving your best. You aren't being your best and you're not showing our students your best. And, you know, we want to see you benefit, or we, we, we want to see you encourage students, and especially because I teach in a STEM field. Um, a lot of people, when they think of science, they think of old white men in lab coats. And so to have a trans woman there who is a bit more vocal and visible is a big deal. And so very quickly that just that lit a fire under me and so i started planning um lgbtq and stem panels and support for queer scientists i actually updated the curriculum in my classes to include a section on the um, contributions of queer and transgender meteorologists to the field and there are some amazing stories and what I love is that I've met a lot of trans meteorologists and I, that just lights me up. Um, there's this, uh, there's this trans woman in Chicago. Her name is Mika Tosca. She does incredible work on bringing art and science together to forward the message of climate change. She's done incredible work in that. Um, I have a friend named Jerrica who is a, a consultant meteorologist. Um, she lives in the Midwest. 
Um, and yeah, I just, I, it's been so cool to see that and to be able to really start teaching that STEM is for everybody. Mm-hmm. Last part of the story. Yeah. Alicia comes to class. Early 2022. Um, I, at this point, talks of returning to campus were starting to happen. And I, part of me had this dream that my last day teaching as a guy in a classroom has already come and gone. That I didn't know it at the time, but that the day that I, um, the, the last time I met one of my students before COVID was the last time I set foot in a classroom as my legacy self, as, as Terrence, my, my former self. And, but I wasn't totally sure how that was going to happen. And then in early 2022, an ally of mine in one of my departments, um, because I teach part-time at another school, she had said, hey, I want to update your information on our department website and poster. I'm not going to do that if you don't want me to. But would you like me to do that? Like, I really, I, I would love to encourage you to do that. I was out to everybody in the department. They were very emphatic about when Alicia is ready, we want her here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I felt like it was kind of a safe space to do that. So I said, sure. Um, And then she said, when you're ready, you can change your, here's how you can change your preferred name. I prefer the term affirmed name. You can change your affirmed name in the system. And I kind of thought that would change like a lot of like, what I see, but I actually went in and changed my preferred name. And within 15 seconds, every public facing entity, including my email, the schedule of classes, everything said Alicia. I didn't realize it was going to do that. But at that moment, I was like, I guess I'm Alicia now. (laughs) (laughs) And I decided it was going to be the first time I was going to set foot back onto a campus. Might as well do it with heels clicking. Might as well do it with makeup on. Might as well do it as my true self. Um, And so I made my debut um, January 27th, 2022. Um, That morning I stood outside my, my house with a sign, you know, those first day of school signs that many kids will hold up. Uh First day of school. And I wrote as my true self and I stood there and and I mean, it was just, um, and then a few months later, my, the Dean at my full-time college, Deanza was like, so Alicia's teaching over there. When is Alicia going to teach over here? Um, and part of it was actually getting my name updated because the preferred name system that that the other school had was excellent. The system that my current or that the school I teach at full time that is that one barrier I was talking about, mm-hmm. and it's still a problem to this day. And I've worked with them on fixing it, but it's still. Um, but I will say that's the only thing I've, that's the only obstacle I've had there. Everybody has been so cool. It's, it's just, it's been, it's a systematic thing. And it's one of those things that unfortunately it takes a long time to break down systems like that. Um, 
we have put together a new process that isn't much better than the old one. Um, and I am going to be pushing hard so that we get to a point where it takes 15 seconds there too. Mm -hmm. But a few months later, it was like, all right, well, I'm going to start teaching at De Anza as Alicia. And I haven't looked back since. I'm now fully in the classroom as Alicia. I, I, I told, I, First day of class, I always share it. I always say that I'm a proud transgender woman. I don't hide it. I don't I don't see a reason to hide it. Um, you know, and what I love is that since that has happened, the number of queer and trans students who have taken my classes has skyrocketed, um, which means one of two things. Either students on campus are now aware and they feel safe taking a class with me, or... They would have taken the class with me anyway, but they're now they now feel safe actually sharing that with me. Mm -hmm. Either way, I'm like, that's that's why I'm doing this. Like that visibility is so important, and our students need to see that. And so it's my honor to be able to to give that to them. Absolutely, um, you, you shine brightly uh, as just you know uh, an example of where you can be in life as a teacher, as a leader in your community, uh, and that's that's amazing that you have the ability to stand for people and and stand with people uh, up in the classroom to represent uh, as part of that community. Mm -hmm. I am just thrilled. Yeah, and I mean it's been it's been now um, this is my first full school year teaching as Alicia. I'm just a few weeks few weeks away from ending it. Um, it. It has been the most incredible journey. It has been the most incredible, you know, it's been scary at times. And, and I'm sure that there's more resistance than I probably am aware of. But at the same time, just people have been, people have been incredible. And it's just been so good to, more than anything, so good to, see the difference in students by being my true self and what how it's changed how they feel around me and, and and more than anything that they feel safe around me which is what i'm not that big bad professor i never like i know most students who sign up for my class are already saying i'm bad at science which is totally false um Ever go to a store and try on clothes to see if they fit and look good on you? Guess what? You're collecting data and making a decision based off that data. That's science. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're excellent scientists. But to be able to actually share that and to make science approachable for them um, and, you know, to be able to add my personal story to that and say, like, here I am, a trans woman in the field of meteorology – and I know I'm not the only one because I know many more who are also trans. Um, it's it's incredible. It's been it's been a really good. I, I wouldn't give it up for the world. I, I really wouldn't. And to be able to benefit other people's lives and to be able to do it as my true self mm -hmm. has just been incredible. Anyway, Alicia, seeing your joy and sharing your story has been absolutely infectious. Like you have a great smile and we can really like feel, you know, and celebrate like this moment with you. I think the importance of, uh, you know, expressing and sharing stories of queer joy 
just it can't be understated. We exist in a time where um, media and movies and clickbait likes to focus on the queer struggle and trauma. And it's sometimes when we're, you know, sharing these stories of our journey, it almost seems like people are addicted to like, well, how hard was it? How terrible was it? So to hear you, you know, telling these stories about like being accepted by your faculty and the way that your partner supported you and even the story of the Italian restaurant, just being able to exist in a space, you know, joyfully as a uh, trans person. I think it's extremely important that our listeners hear these stories as well and know that that acceptance and joy is out there for them too. Uh, So I thank you. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. If you don't mind, I have a couple of questions I'd love to run through with you. Please. Um, So as a college professor um, and as someone who is a queer advocate, what are some ways that our listeners and your students could be encouraged to participate in advocacy? We know about writing to our representatives and having these types of conversations, but what are some other ways that they can get involved? Um, My answer is going to be somewhat of a hard pill to swallow, but I think Ultimately, it's being visible. And the reason why that's a hard pill to swallow is that for many people, they're not safe to be visible. It's They have to hide. They have to sit behind and, and not. And, and that's so, I'm so frustrated for them. But it's really visibility because look what's being said about us right now by people like Ron DeSantis, Michael Knowles, Ted Cruz, you know, these these they're all white men for the most part except for marjorie trump worshiper i mean taylor green um but you know but but they paint us in this like very dehumanizing very demonizing very just messed up yeah and and the fact of the matter is is that i i mean i strongly doubt any of them have ever actually sat down with a trans person to hear their story. And so they they have never seen the human side of this. They've never seen the fact that when I go to the bathroom, I just have to pee. I'm not in there to, I'm not there to snoop on other people. I, I want to get in and get out. Maybe take a selfie, but other than that, I want to get in and get out. Um, but yeah, I'm not I'm not trying to invade anybody's space or invalidate anybody's space. I'm not trying to um I'm not I'm not trying to groom anybody. I mean that that term actually makes me really upset. That that is like mm-hmm. my biggest um because I'm not I'm not trying to force anybody to be trans. I'm not trying to, you know, anything like that. The only thing I am trying to do, and this is what I think people that we need to do, is be present in Mm. society. Be there, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable, knowing that it's going to be uncomfortable for many people. Um, But it humanizes trans people. It humanizes it shows them that we bleed the same blood. We 
like and dislike many of the same things we you know it just it shows them that like we're just one of them and we're not threats we're not out here to hurt you we're not out here to do anything like that um Absolutely. and in fact and in fact uh, one thing i left out in my story and this was actually probably one of the biggest egg breaking experiences or one of the biggest one of the first cracks in my egg in 2015 i was teaching a, a summer class at a college in southern california and i had a trans student she had come to class the first four or five weeks of class presenting as male and then one day out of the blue started presenting female and I will say straight up, I was very uncomfortable with it. And the reason why I was very uncomfortable with it was twofold. The first one was I had no idea how to support her at the time. At the time, there was no training on supporting transgender students in our classrooms or so I didn't know how to support her. I didn't know, I didn't know if she wanted me to ask her. I know exactly what I would do now, but I, I didn't know if she wanted me to ask her if she had a preferred name or if she, um, and I didn't want to make a big deal out of it. So I, I didn't know what to do. Um, and I, I regret that now. I wish I could talk to that student and just say, I, I'm sorry I didn't do that. I, I still tried to treat her like I treated everybody else. I'd high five her. Uh, if she sent me an email, I'd always get back to her. I, you know, all I, I would do all that stuff. The other reason why I was very uncomfortable was that this student was, I was looking in the mirror in a very real sense. I mean, I'm looking at essentially myself in the student because they're living the life that I knew that I, you know, and, and, and it forces things to well up and it forces things like you're, you're confronting that. And you know, to me, that is, if anything, that's why it's so important because suddenly, like, I saw for the first time a trans person just out living their life, going to class, having lunch with classmates, holding study sessions. One day as I was walking from our lab class to our lecture class, another classmate was with her and helping her straighten out her dress, and then looked at her and said, you look great. Um, I said a silent prayer, thanking God that that student was there for her. And I just, you know, I wish I had said more at the time. But, yeah, so, I mean, that's really my, my biggest thing as far as advocacy is concerned. You know, the other thing I'd say is, and I'm sure there are a few people at my work right now who are probably very with me because I've pushed so hard over this whole name change thing. But... It's okay to call out systemic oppression. It's okay to call out issues of things that need to that things that need to change. Um, and so that's I made it very clear that this whole process is not over. And by us implementing this new preferred name process does not mean that it's fixed and everything's good and we can all go away. Like I'm not going away. Um, I'm not going away until I can do what I did at another college in 15 seconds here in 15 seconds. Like I, 
because our students and our our colleagues deserve that mm-hmm. and but i've also tried to make it very clear that listen what's happening here this is not me ripping into any of you because the reality is is what's happening here is happening at every single major company at every single college and university at every single place of any of that stuff right now any single place of employment place of education place of like these same things are happening and so this is a natural part of our progression of our evolution as a college so this isn't you like you're not all in, in you're not all bad like i'm not trying to say you're bad i'm just trying to say like hey this is it's time for the next step and i'm here to help i'm here to um but yeah so that's something i've also done to advocate Um, I also wanted to touch on something um, very unique about you as a um, trans woman and a queer professor in STEM. That is, you know, incredible that uh, you get to be able to uh, represent that intersectionality. And uh, you mentioned that you make a point to educate your students about queer contributions in science. Um, So I was just wondering, What's your favorite um, story of a queer scientist contributing to the field? Oh, that's that's a big one. I, I mean, I love what Mika Tosca is doing, um, partially because I mean, um, look her up, Mika Tosca. Um, I forgot the name of her school. It's the Institute of Arts College in Chicago. Um, but yeah, I mean, so she's a climate science professor for an art school and yet her passion is so much on melding the arts and the sciences together. And I, I love that because I think that one of the, one of the worst things that we've done as a society is we've kind of pitted arts and science against each other. And there's this idea that like science is more important. So screw the arts man, the arts make life so beautiful that we want to better understand it with science. Like the music we listen to, the um, the entertainment we get, the visual beauty, things like even a cute dress like this come from art. And, and, science. and science, absolutely, of course. But like, I I feel like we can't have one or the other. And if anything, we need to meld together where we can, where art is being used to complement science and science is being used to complement art. And so Mika's work is really inspirational to me. And again, she was actually the first trans meteorologist. Um, well, I don't think, she, I don't think she's actually a meteorologist. She's an atmospheric scientist, okay. um, more on the climate side than on the, the weather side, but her work, the first time I met her, I'm like, oh my gosh, there's a trans woman in atmospheric science. This is incredible. Um, and yeah, so so her work on melding the two together has been very inspirational to me. Um, there are other really cool queer scientists. Um, one of my old department chairs at another college that I taught oceanography at um, is queer and um, doesn't really 
share about it much, but um, has done some really cool stuff with algae with algae biofuels. Has worked really hard on improving student equity. Has worked really hard on getting students involved in research and showing them that you don't have to be a math whiz or you know to to be a good scientist and. I, I deeply appreciate the work that he's done. And I actually had the privilege of coming out to him just a few months ago, and that was incredible. Um, that is and amazing. Then, and then my old department chair at San Jose State is also a member of the LGBTQ community. And she was the department chair for 14 years. Um, excellent professor. Um, she just retired. And... Um, People like that make our spaces welcoming and make these fields welcoming. And so it's, it's so important. Absolutely. Actually, we were talking about this fabulous dress you have on um, before the podcast started and this story of this, you know, dress and its importance for you. And um, I was just wondering, as a trans woman, um, how did you navigate finding your style? Oh, man, that's that's a good question. I mean, the, uh, the answer to that is actually a very scientific answer. Trial and error. Um. To be perfectly honest, I when people ask me what inspires my style, I always say I I'm just inspired by what looks good, by by what I think looks good. Um, floral patterns, houndstooth, more form fitting. Um, although I love things that are more flare down at the bottom um, because I have a belly and it's a good way to complement my body. Um, and so I'm always looking at things that um, I feel like are, are stylish and fashionable for me. Um, and I, one of the things about my style that I'll say is really important and something I've had to just remind myself now that I'm much deeper into my transition is that my style cannot be dictated by other people. You know, and what I mean by that was early in my transition, I had people telling me things like, you know, most people don't wear dresses to work. Or, you know, most people don't wear heels or most people don't wear, you know, this, that, or the other. And, you know, you, and so you always overdress a little bit. And I'm not going to lie. Cut this out if you have to, but I don't give a flying fuck. <laughs> like I, you know what? There is nothing wrong with being the most stylish person in the room, honey. <laughs> I spent 35 years dreaming of being able to wear a pencil skirt and heels into a classroom. I'm going to wear that pencil skirt and heels in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to wear my ball gown and gloves into the classroom. Obviously not, but I am going to find things that are still cute, professional, stylish and me. And so um, I have to admit, it's, it's definitely trial and error. I also have to admit that I have become a hoarder of clothes. Um, In fact, one of the big things I'm going through right now is um, my, my partner and I were actually working on decluttering our home. And 
in my past, I used to be a big time craft beer collector. I'm still a big craft beer enthusiast and I still will have a collection, but it was taking up half a closet. And I felt like, well, I would rather have that space for my dresses, for my boots, for my um, blouses, for so I can spread all that stuff out and it's not all piled up. And um, and so that's actually what I'm working on right now. I just have a, I just got a new dresser delivered yesterday, uh, trying to make more space for those things so that, um, because to me, it's just, it's, it's so much fun. Like at, in my past life, it was, Hey, is this clean and does it fit? Okay, I'm wearing that. And I would be like, I can wake up, shower, dress, and be out the door in 15 minutes. And do I miss that a little bit? Yeah. But I will, I don't care if I spend 15 minutes going through my closet full of clothes, wondering what to wear, or feeling like I have nothing to wear because <laughs> it's just like I wanted this for over 30 years and now I have it. I'm like, I treasure it. And it's, you know, and my makeup time in my morning has become one of my favorite parts of my day, like getting up and throwing on like a YouTube video in the background just to have some background noise and go at it. You know, I've developed a routine. I still need to work on it. Um, but no, I mean, really, I would say that my, uh, my style is very much the clothing equivalent of a seafood diet. I see food, I eat it. <laughs> I see something cute, I wear it. Like that is that is who I am, and I am not ashamed of that. I am not. I'm. I I love it, and I'm gonna keep doing it. Alicia, you are such a beacon of like self love and self acceptance through this journey, and that is such an important part of people finding themselves and their queer identity. So I just wanted to ask you, what tips would you have for our listeners, especially our trans listeners who are trying to figure out how to embrace themselves in the same way? Ooh, um, that is a hard question, but a good question. Um, that is, I mean, I'm just trying to think here of the best of the best tips I can give. I mean, you know, the first one is, gosh, make sure that you're safe. Make sure that you're in a safe place to do it. I mean, I, when we talk about intersectionality, when I think of intersectionality and myself and, and my transits, I think of privilege. Like I, I have, I've had so much privilege in this whole process and that I live in a great part of the country where my rights aren't being taken away. And I mean, probably one of the safest places in the country to be a trans woman, um, the San Francisco Bay area. I, um, I, I have a, an amazing supportive wife who I know has had a hard time with this from time to time, but that's to be expected. That's normal. Um, and yet, like, you know, she has given me such a safe space to transition, um, making sure that I had a good enough support system to take the blow 
when I came out, lost a lot of my friends. I mean, we lost our church. We lost, um, I mean, my three of my five groomsmen are no longer in my life because of all of this. Um, you know, things like that, like realizing that these are people who I love deeply and I, I, I hate that I've lost them. But um, also acknowledging that the only thing that was going to come out of engaging them on this was going to be trauma and it was going to be like, they weren't going to convince me otherwise. I, I'm pretty set in my way at this point. And they, you know, and then the things that would be said are, I feel like it's a better ending to just step away than it is to allow that to happen and end our friendship on a much nastier term. Um, you know, Alicia, you bring up a really good point. I'm sorry, I don't want to interrupt you, but I, it's a perfect segue into one of the questions I had for you, actually, because we touched on this earlier in your story as well. Um, what advice would you give for someone who's kind of struggling to set those healthy boundaries and perhaps having to shut out people in their lives who don't support their queer identity? It's like ripping a Band-Aid off. I mean, that's... I, I, I hate that I had to do this, and I'm... I'm interested to see if this podcast ever makes it around to where some of them see it. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but, you know, if, they, if they're watching this, um, something I would say very adamantly is that I know that I hurt you when I did what I did, which was essentially just cut them out. I mean, that's what I, that's what I did. I, I, I had to. I just, I cut them out. I, I blocked them on social media. I pulled back. I, I have not engaged them on these issues. Um, but it, but the reason why is because I felt like this is the best way that this is going to go. Like, I think having the same Bible verse preached at me by five different people and um, being told the exact same things about how I'm like Sodom and Gomorrah and how I'm yeah, somebody did say that to me. Um, how um, how I am gonna go to hell for this? And oftentimes, one-liners in scripture are used, like a single verse, completely taken out of context, um, and just stuff like that. And also realizing how little these people actually know about me, and how so much of what they do know about me has been heard from people like Tucker Carlson, Matt Walsh, these these horrible people um and to think that like nothing good is going to come out of this and so mm. i just realized i had to rip the band-aid off and again i know that i hurt those people and i'm i i'm deeply sorry that i that i hurt them but this is a situation where i had to i, I had no choice i mean it was either that or you know commit to that you know constant barrage of what they would call loving rebuke in, or in, tough love enduring scorn sounds like it but really. but but what it really is is it's is it's just more and more trauma and it's not and and realizing like this isn't going to change me this is something i have prayed about and struggled with and talked about with so many different people over many different years and have come to a conclusion that you know 
this is this is where I'm at right now. And you know, if I'm wrong, then I mean it it's it's a possibility. I don't I don't think I am. But you know, it's just it's one of those things where I was like, nothing good is gonna come out of continuing to engage them in this. Yet they can't help themselves. And you know, one of them did try to reach out to me a few years ago and you know, very quickly it went from do you realize how many friends you've hurt to please remember what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah because they were doing the same thing. That's what they said. I told them off and blocked them. It's a veiled threat. That's what that is. It's uh, It's very much so. Yeah. It's saying that they're not the ones who would cause you harm, but they believe in a God who would. Right. I I heard a phrase once, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but – it kind of goes to what you're talking about here. The idea that um, keeping quiet to keep the peace, you're not actually keeping the peace, you're just sacrificing your peace for theirs. So I think it's important to remember that. Um, you don't have to live you know, a separate life with these other people that you know wouldn't accept you because in reality, you're not, you're not keeping the peace by keeping those relationships, you're just sacrificing your peace for theirs. And you can't really exist in a state of authenticity and self-love and as the best version of yourself if you are, you know, catering to hatred, essentially. You know, um, I... Oh, sorry, I, go ahead. <laughs> no, no problem. I used to have a phrase that I would say when I was younger, and I think it, I look back at it now, I'm like, this was a dumb phrase, but my phrase was, if you have a problem with something, just stay quiet. Things won't get better, but they won't get worse. Um, And I think a lot of people operate on that kind of, that kind of mentality of like, you know, go with the status quo because why screw up what you have going for you? Um, But it was, it was unsustainable for me. And I mean, that, that I will say was the thing I realized 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, as time went on, it became more and more like this is not, this is not something I can continue holding back. I spent over 20 years trying to hold this back. And, you know, this is, this is happening. And, you know, there's, I could either let it happen or I could end up becoming a very miserable person and i mean i've already seen the difference just in who i am now compared to who i was pre-transition and it's it's so different i'm I'm a i'm a much brighter person i'm a much happier much more enthusiastic person and i was beforehand um you know what's cool is there so just just to be very honest um i want to make sure that I'm not necessarily painting everybody in the evangelical place in a negative light, because there have been some people who have surprised me. Mm-hmm. One of them, and I hope she will listen to this at some point. One of them is a, a friend of mine and Jamie's named Jennifer, who um, was a part of the same small group. Um, her and her husband were actually the um, facilitators of the small group that Jamie and I were a part of. She has an incredible story. She's, she, I mean, she, obviously she's a cis woman, but she um, was just, when I came out, her 
level of not only not distancing herself from me, but instead pressing in and, and pursuing Jamie and I and loving Jamie and I and being very supportive to Jamie and I has just blown me away. And last year I was on a panel um, for National Coming Out Day and she showed up at the panel. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, somebody from my old church is here right now. And she was so encouraging and so, so loving to me. And, you know, we were talking a little bit later about like how this is often portrayed in the church. And, and one of the things I said that I, I hear so often is that, well, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. And she took the words out of my mouth when she said, no, God made you who you are and look at who you are now. And like, this is, this is who God made you. And, and look at the difference you're making in people's lives. And one of the other things that she said to me at the time was, you've always had a joyful smile. You've always been a happy person, but there's just something very different about it now that you're Alicia. Like there's something, there, there's, there's a glow that is completely beyond anything that you had in your past and just such encouragement and, you know, and I'm just, I'm thankful for people like Jennifer in our lives because like I said, I'd say we've lost probably 90% of the people from those evangelical circles and to have, you know, but that 10% who have stuck around and who have stayed by our side has been incredible. Um, and I'm so thankful for that. And I know your partner is um, one of those people that has, you know, been with you through this entire process. Um, and, uh, you know, for our listeners here, I was wondering if you could just touch on um, how did you approach those conversations with your partner when you realized, you know, Alicia is who you are? Um, first, I know my partner will listen to this. In fact, she's probably in the next room. <laughs> kind of listening to it because my voice carries. I'm, I have a loud voice, but um, hi, Jamie. I love you. Um, she'll, she'll probably be laughing at that when she listens to this. Um, I'm not going to lie. I mean, and again, I think this is where my privilege comes out. I haven't held it back. I've just been very transparent with her. I, I have... I mean, she's known about everything almost as soon as I knew. Mm -hmm. Like that night I, I flat out said, I want to transition or I need to transition. Um, that was, I had been admitting it to myself in the back of my head and in, you know, but I, I, I had not yet had the guts to just straight up say it, but I had it in my head. And, um, and so when she, when I blurted it out, I was hearing it for the first time too, as well. Um, but I mean, there are things I wouldn't recommend doing. I, I have to admit that there were a lot of drunk texts involved in where I would basically lay out everything about like, what, you know, what, what, what this is going on, how sorry I am about it, but also how important it is to me. Um, and how this is something I've fought for so long. Um, but we've, but we've talked about it a lot. We've had arguments about it. Um, I'll never forget what I call the blow up, which was a, um, 
an incident. We were driving back from a cruise. We were driving down Highway 101, and um, something came out that turned into a full-blown argument, and we didn't talk to each other for, well, no, we argued pretty much the whole ride home. And I slept on the couch that night, not by her insistence, but by mine. Um, and we, you know, had some struggles for the next few weeks, but we worked through it. And that's one of the biggest things I'd say is that it's all about working through those things, being patient, yeah. making sure that your partner has support, yeah. that, you know, there are people who are aware of the situation and who are there for her. Um, I, and then, yeah, that transparency is so important as well. Mm -hmm. I will say this though. Um, I consider my I consider this to be another privilege that I've had. I, the fact of the matter is, is that I've seen so many people go into a transition with a loving partner and come out the other end completely heartbroken and devastated. I mean, I I think you know, some of my one of my favorite trans vloggers who doesn't do trans vlogging anymore um came into her transition with a wife and you know with a loving wife and then um about a year after they renewed their vows she her wife basically was like no i can't do this and what sucks is that the pictures of their vow renewals are everywhere yeah and they get shared on like a many trans support groups and stuff like that. And we always like message those people and say, Hey, please take that down. That's actually traumatic. You know, it's, yeah. um, but, and I've seen a lot of my friends who have lost partners in this and that's always kind of scared me because, yeah, I mean, I'll say this right now. My, my biggest fear, I mean, if I'll be perfectly honest, my biggest fear is not losing Jamie. Mm -hmm. I would be devastated if I lost her. It would be the it would be the worst thing that happened to me and you know in all of this. It'd be absolutely devastating. The thing that I'm most worried about is taking away her partner. Mm -hmm. The phrase I, I, I use and, and I actually still I still refer to myself as her husband. Um, I know that other people might not be comfortable with that, but that's, I'm comfortable with that. I still refer to myself as her husband. I still make sure that I fulfill the things that she needs in a partner, somebody to be there to protect her, to, to guard her, to love her, to provide for her, um, to, to do those things that, that she's needed. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, my biggest fear is not losing her. It's taking, it's, it's, it's harming her. It's taking away yeah. what she needs in a person. And so I've told her, I don't care if I'm wearing makeup, lipstick, heels, and nail polish, I will still do everything for you that I would have as my former self, because those things don't define who I am. And those things aren't, they aren't a contradictory to Alicia. And so what I love is that she's constantly hugging me and saying, you're still the same person. You're still my person. And I'm so happy that I have you. Like, 
she's the sweetest person. <laughs> anyway, I could gush. Yeah, she's it's amazing sweetest. to have a partner that has dedication. I, I have one myself. Not everyone can manage that because the one thing you can't control in that situation is really the feelings of the other person. But that's the case in any marriage, regardless of if there's a transgender person involved or not. We do need exactly. to wrap up really quickly here. So I just yes. want to put out some things <laughs> we've got like right now to get closed out so that we can start up on the next one. It's been great speaking with you. Perfect. Alicia. So let me read through some copy here real quick. Uh, and I'll, um, I'll ask Athena, you. real quick. Okay, go for it. Um, so she actually just wanted me to touch on this um, with you really quick. Speaking of um, trans, you know, vloggers, um, what are your uh, thoughts on um, Dylan Mulvaney's um, process of vlogging and everything that's happened with um, the Bud Light uh, situation. Uh, I know that you really enjoy uh, their content, so I just wanted to hear a little bit about uh, your thoughts on that. Um, I think what's happened to Dylan Mulvaney has been an absolute travesty. Um, my heart breaks for her. She has had so many hecklers and 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 turfs and um she's had so many horrible people just trolling her to death i mean that poor girl has not gotten a break and all because she wore an audrey hepburn costume and, dr and drank a bud light and you had travis twit and acts like a kid rock bitching and moaning about it and um I'm actually really disappointed in Anheuser-Busch for backing away from her. That to me is, you know, and especially now as we're about to go into Pride Month and all these companies are going to start painting rainbows all over everything. And they've proven that they are, that they are only an ally when it profits them. They don't care one bit. And the moment that all those whiny conservative snowflakes started, um, started, complaining about it they backed away from her like people are fired put on leave and stuff like and to me i'm like this is absolutely ridiculous and i feel like they use dylan um and they have walked away from her they they got her into this and now they've walked away from her which to me is very disgusting i mean i'm a craft beer person so i already hate anheuser-busch I, after the whole Bud Light thing, I decided to, in solidarity with Dylan, put on my Audrey Hepburn costume and drink a Bud Light. I actually have a video of that. That's amazing. Um, that and, but now I'm like, the next one I almost want to do is take all the Anheuser-Busch beers that I have, mostly things like Goose Island, Bourbon County Stout, and just pop the top and dump it. Because that's how I feel about Anheuser-Busch right now. Like, I'm very, very disappointed. Um, but Dylan, I just, I wish I could talk to her. And and, and not, I, I, I would not ask her anything. I have nothing I would want to get from her. I would just want to hug her and thank her and say, you are so joyful. You are so happy. You are so, you know, and you you are yourself and who cares if that's flamboyant and you're an actress and you're like who cares you are absolutely, absolutely stunning and fuck the haters <laughs>
So thank you so much, listeners, for joining us on the Trans Narrative Podcast. I'm Athena Pramakis, and on behalf of Caroline and the team, we hope you enjoyed our conversation with Alicia Teresa Mullins. If you want to learn more about Alicia's work, you can check out their website and social media page, and we will include links on our show notes so you can easily find them. Before we go, we want to remind you to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, whether that's Apple, Audible, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google, or YouTube. Today I was joined by Savannah Barker, our guest co-host, returning from season one. Savannah, any part, final parting thoughts? Um, I just want to say I'm Savannah Barker. I'm so glad to be here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. I really look forward to being on more and hearing the stories of often marginalized voices as we strive to educate and bring empathy back to the forefront. Absolutely. And remember the Trans Narrative Podcast, where we do shift the trans narrative to a more inclusive and representative space with an emphasis on accessibility, intersectionality, and inclusion, diversity, and equity. We explore a variety of topics related to the queer community by building empathetic bonds through shared conversation and meaningful discourse. We are able to elevate on off those often marginalized voices to the forefront and educate here on the Trans Narrative Podcast. Thanks for joining. This is Athena signing off. Hey, everyone, if you like this episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast, be sure to subscribe, like, and follow. More importantly, share with your friends. Today's episode was recorded on May 20th, 2023 via Zoom. Today's show was hosted by Athena Permakis. Today's guest co-host was Savannah Barker. Today's guest was Alicia Teresa. The Trans Narrative Podcast was created by Caroline Penny and co-developed by Ariel Aki, Athena Permakis, and Lucy Balsano. This episode was edited, directed, and produced by Caroline Penny. Research provided by Athena Permakis, Caroline Penny, and Mar Newell. Music provided by Gamma Skies titled Get Up Again. The music you hear now was created and produced by Athena Permakis. This episode of the Trans Narrative Podcast was brought to you by Spotify for Podcasters, the easiest way to upload a podcast. Thank you for supporting this show. For more details about this episode, go to the description link below. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. now available on YouTube. Subscription for exclusive content available. Be sure to go to anchor.fm slash transnarrative. You can now find us on transnarrativepodcast.com. That's transnarrativepodcast.com. If you'd like to reach out to learn more, be a guest, or are looking to get involved with the show, email us at transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com. That's transnarrativepodcast at gmail.com.